Five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. You can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on social media at Sir SirDRJM. Go ahead and give me a follow because the podcast doesn't have its own feed, uh, so I'm the best one to follow. You can find the podcast, of course, on podcast services all around the globe, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, any other services out there. If you find something you can't find it on, uh, best to reach out to me on Twitter at SirDRJM, and of course, I'll get back to you on that. Now, this is, of course, a podcast where we look at everything with respect to Overwatch. Of course, typically speaking, we take a look at the news, all the latest and greatest happenings in Overwatch. After that, we used to look at the Owl Recap, where we recap all of the most recent games in the Overwatch League. However, of course, because we're now in the offseason, things have changed a little bit. And our final segment as well has changed, because normally we look at the upcoming week in the Overwatch League. So, of course, those last two segments don't happen anymore, uh, at least for the time being. So after we look at a couple news stories, we're a little light on news this week just because of uh, the way I have structured this the show. So after the news section, we will actually move on to the Owl Trade Tracker, where I'll look at all of the trades and signings and retirements, unfortunately, and things along those lines going on in the Overwatch League. Now, as I mentioned before... Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast Services, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on all your favorite podcast services out there. So please go ahead and do that. And like I say, if you have any suggestions for the show, if you have any ideas, anything you want to hear me talk about, go ahead and reach out and I'm happy to uh, engage with you. Um, obviously, not a big podcast right now, but I love to grow my audience. And the best way to do that is engaging with you guys. So please reach out ask questions, give me suggestions, whatever you want to do. Now then, without further ado, let's dive into the news. Playtime's over. So, as we did last week, and possibly the week before, I'm actually going to touch briefly on the Overwatch Halloween Terror 2020 event, because of course it is still ongoing, and it runs uh, through this week till November 3rd. So of course they have the weekly challenges going on right now. Uh, currently, as of recording this and as of posting, you still have a few hours left to get the Stone Brigitte uh, skin for Brigitte, obviously. Now that will be running out tomorrow, as tomorrow is Tuesday, and Tuesday means patch day. However, after that, we go into the final week of the Halloween Terror 2020 event, and the final reward for that week is, of course, Ragdoll Echo, which on the... Uh, I guess two weeks back or two episodes back, I talked about how Ragdoll Echo is probably is the, at least to me, the most interesting, the most uh, kind of out there, kind of cool of the weekly challenge reward uh, skins that is available. Um, I definitely, I like the Sombra one that was available the first week. I like Stone Brigitte, um, but honestly, I think the Ragdoll Echo is the, the standout of the three. So hopefully uh, you'll have enough time to get that. Hopefully you've got the previous rewards. I know I have. I try and sneak them in there usually Wednesday, Thursday night kind of thing and do any cleanup that might still be needed on uh, Thursday, Friday kind of thing. Um, just generally, that's how my week shakes out. That said, 
Um, I am a big fan of a couple of the other ones, although I don't believe I've actually gotten any of them now that I think about it. I did get uh, the old the old Roadhog skin for Junkenstein's monster, um, so that was exciting. However, I think uh, in terms of most of the other Halloween event skins, I've either got the ones I want or, uh, or you know, I just let them roll in and I don't really pay too much attention to them. I know I got Junkenstein, Dr. Junkenstein for Junkrat, and that was an exciting one. I got that a couple couple of years back. So I digress. That's what uh, the reward for this week's challenges is. And one thing I actually haven't talked about at all when it comes to the Halloween Terror event is the different challenge missions that are available for Junkenstein's Revenge. So this is something that I actually think is pretty cool. Um, I'm not sure when they started doing it. A few events back for sure, because I know they do the same thing with the Archives event. But with the weekly challenges, they also have the special weekly challenge missions. So with the Archive event, it was, you know, a different spin on the Omnic Crisis event and things like that. Whereas in this one, they actually have so two different challenges each week release. So the first week was Vengeful Ghost, and this is specifically regarding the, uh, the Junkenstein's Revenge mode. So in that one, there was actually an added uh, challenge to the, the event where a deadly ghost chases players. Now, I did try that one, and actually, I think for most players, it was surprisingly challenging, and I think the reason for that is because they just didn't realize that this ghost would be chasing them the whole time. So it just kind of slowly loafs around the map and goes from player to player, but it definitely was a bit of a nuisance. Now, the other challenge for that week was Frenzied Stampede, which the description reads, Zomniks move faster. And that one I actually didn't try just because... Honestly, I, I'm not huge on the PvE stuff or the, the four-player co-op kind of modes, and maybe that's just because I don't have a, a solid crew that I roll with. I think it would be a lot more fun, obviously, if you're talking on comms with, with your friends and if you're playing with a group that you usually play with, everyone's got their role kind of thing. Or, you know, it just would be more fun in that sense. But I digress. I, I didn't actually touch that one. Now, these are all still available as well. Um... So those two from week one are still available. And then week two, two more unlocked. So those ones were Volatile Zomniks, where Zomniks explode near players. Um, I definitely did not try that one. That just does not sound like a good time to me. And the final one was uh, three. They were only three players, but they do more damage. So that one, pretty self-explanatory from the description. I also didn't try that one. Um, I do think that that one could be fun with, again, with a solid group of of dedicated players that you know you know everyone knows their role and everyone kind of sticks to it and helps each other out and everything but just that i'm usually pick up grouping things i i don't i don't care too much for these if i want to get some easy wins i'll do the regular mode uh and uh get my easy wins there so now that brings us to week three the two that will be unlocking tomorrow the first one is mystery swap uh the description right now just reads available soon i suspect that's probably going to be the uh, the character you're actually controlling will randomly change at certain intervals. I would assume every uh, maybe every two minutes, maybe every minute, maybe every three minutes, something like that. I would assume every character on the team uh, randomly gets a different character that they have to play as. Um, so that one actually I'm kind of interested in. I do enjoy a good round of mystery heroes, if anything, just for the chance to goof off. So I do uh, I I could get behind that. Maybe I'll give that a try. Then the final one is Shocking Surprise, and again, it says available soon. Now, the icon that it displays there is actually Junkrat's Riptire, which makes me think it's going to be something to the extent of uh, Riptires either explode in a 
a radius that doesn't just damage the door but also hits players with the shock or maybe it damages the ground when it comes blazing through leaves a little electrical trail maybe damage jumps from player to player or something like that something electrical related obviously and electricity always means bad and damage to me and my teammates so i digress um, should be interesting to see what those two both are. Like I say, I'm actually interested in Mystery Swap. Not too much shocking surprise, but I digress. I will look forward to them, and I will be playing them soon. Oh, and here we go. So I've actually, as well, I'm, I'm just on the uh, Overwatch website. I've just pulled up the list of the uh, Halloween event skins, and looking through them, there are actually some pretty sick Halloween ones. So get them while you still can. You got your final week here. I do love the Flying Dutchman Sigma skin that just came out. Oh, that reminds me. I got the Orisa Demon skin recently, and that was exciting because that's a good one. Anyways, moving on from there, let's go on to our next news story. So story number two comes from Liz Richardson on .esports.com, and I'm actually bringing this one up right now because it was, I mean, the article was posted earlier today however i know it was announced a little while ago but i want to bring attention to it uh chances are if you're just hearing this on tuesday you've missed it but go ahead and look it up on youtube i know that's what i plan to do the article reads san francisco shocks super returns to the tonight show and i'm going to jump a little ways in here into the article overwatch league champion oh wait no that was wrong I'll just read the whole thing. Jimmy Fallon will be blessed with another creative, inspirational appearance by an Overwatch League champion when San Francisco Shock main tank Matthew Super DeLisi returns to The Tonight Show. The episode airs on October 26th at 10.35pm CT. Super's appearance comes two weeks after he and the San Francisco Shock won their second overall, overall Overwatch League Grand Finals Championship. On October 10th, the Shock battled it out with the Seoul Dynasty, taking the series 4-2 and bringing home $1.5 million in prize money. They're the first Overwatch League team to win two titles in a row. And then they have a nice tweet from the Overwatch League of uh, Overwatch... Overwatch. I'm sorry, I'm reading the words I'm seeing. Of Super laying in a bed, sleeping with the Grand Finals Championship trophy. So, that's not the whole article, so go ahead and give Liz the click on that article. But... That should be a fun one. Um, I know I, I definitely enjoyed the interview last year with uh, Super and Sinatra, I believe. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what exactly, how things pan out with, you know, just Super being on. Uh, I would I would imagine, I would hope that they talk to some of the other teammates and just ask them if they wanted to join and maybe people passed. I don't know. Maybe they didn't ask them, but... Anyways, it'll be exciting to see. I always enjoy a good chance for the Overwatch League to get some mainstream exposure. Um, I definitely think it benefits the league um, to, to be putting their name out there and everything. And hopefully, if anything, it generates some interest. Now, that's all I have for that article. The next article I want to talk about is from... Sorry, I'm just checking things out here. Another one from .esports.com, this time by Aaron Alford. Overwatch devs tweak hero pools in latest experimental patch. So go ahead and give uh, Aaron Alford the click on this article. I'm not going to break down everything, but he does go into more detail on all of the changes for all of the heroes in the latest experimental patch update. Um, I'll summarize a little bit here, though. We're looking mostly at minor changes, but uh, regardless, there's a few notable ones. So... 
looks like this. First Baptiste is getting some minor changes. However, he does have one of the more significant changes, which is the uh, width of his ampli amplification matrix is being increased. Now, I believe what I read was that it used to be uh, something like six meters. No, it used to be five meters, and now it's growing to nine meters. So if you look at some of the uh, screenshots of this one, it's actually, uh, in a lot of ways, comically large. It looks huge, which is kind of hilarious, um, just because it used to be, you know, this perfect little grid square kind of thing. Uh, but I, whatever, it's interesting. Um, reading a little bit from what the developers noted about it, I guess the reason was that uh, they're they're trying to basically make it more impactful, make it in a lot of ways easier to use but essentially there were some choke points where if you didn't place it perfectly then it was easy to get around like easy for the enemy team to not be in the field of view of it or in a lot of ways um, you could place it and then it was just easy for the team to be at such an angle that they wouldn't be in it whereas now I believe the the one screenshot I saw was on Rialto and uh, it literally covers the entire roadway um, in in certain instances so it should make his amplification matrix quite a bit uh, bigger at least at the very least quite a bit more impactful so that's an interesting one the next one is a bit of a buff to brig um, nothing too notable plus 25 health to her going from 150 to 175 obviously we saw huge changes to brig recently um, which really pulled her out of the meta and kind of in a lot of ways made her quite useless which was a little bit sad because i mean before that she was a powerhouse now yes she was i would definitely argue she was overpowered she could quite literally you know combo a lot of uh, a lot of the damage players which which really was kind of rude of her but i mean ultimately i have to say i always enjoyed playing brig um and it's a little bit of a shame that she's not in the meta now because i still do enjoy her but actually as i've been finding out she plays quite well on junkenstein's revenge um, so that's one area where I still get to play her, but I do miss her. Anyhow, just buffing her health a little bit here. Moving on from there, McCree's getting a couple little buffs. Um, nothing too exciting. Reload time being slightly reduced. Um, so, hey, he can dole out damage a tiny bit quicker, making him a little bit more competitive, although I do think McCree is fairly, fairly widely used. I, I definitely don't think there's any problems there and he's also getting a tiny health increase which actually ties in a little bit more uh, to one of the hero changes that uh, I'll talk about in a minute here another one that's a little bit more interesting is May so I know uh, May kind of fell out of favor with the meta mm, at some point this year partway through the year kind of thing and I definitely think even in the lower levels of play that you know I myself am playing in just because you know I'm gold I'm not anything super incredible um, you definitely don't see her being played too too often anymore now the other side of that is do I think that these changes are really gonna see her getting a lot more playtime mm -hmm. it's hard to say uh, I, I guess I should mention the changes the first change is they're actually making it so that when she uses her ice block it restores ammo so this kind of balances out some of the changes they made to her earlier in the uh, season where um, her uh, her secondary fire, I believe it was, actually started costing more. 
and of course her secondary fire is the really her only option for long range um, as well as it does do a relatively significant amount of damage so it was definitely a uh, a bit of a nerf to see that suddenly start consuming more ammo however now with her ice block restoring that ammo as well as health it does kind of make sense that it balances her out a little bit a little bit better than she was previously um, aside from that they've also uh, given her a tiny buff to her ice wall bringing the cooldown down by one second which as we all know when it comes to overwatch one second uh, can be a lifetime that could definitely be uh, you know the difference between someone getting a significant ult or not or someone you know popping off a headshot or not so uh, that eh, her changes could actually see her get some new playtime so moving on from there we have Symmetra getting a base shield increase from 100 to 125 um, similar in the health changes that some of the other characters are getting however with Symmetra you know they buffed her shields instead of her health uh, which hey it's Sim so I don't think we'll really see Sim getting played too too much more than we already do I think oftentimes when she gets played she's either just awful or at least at the level that I'm playing at she's either just awful or she microwaves everyone so good stuff there Moving on from there, probably the only uh, debuff uh, or slight minor nerf, it's not really a nerf, but uh, the only real uh, downgrade we're seeing is they've actually nerfed Widowmaker's health a tiny bit. So where the other heroes we saw get a plus 25 increase, Widowmaker's health is actually going down 25. So that uh, could potentially be significant just because a, a full charged up Widow shot um, will bring her that much closer to death and it also kind of helps differentiate her a little bit from some of the other uh, sniper classes uh, like McCree who you know went the opposite direction and is now at 225 health so you know another another plus plus one in the pocket for McCree players maybe a minus one in the pocket for a Widowmaker however you know they do they should in theory fulfill different roles kind of thing so that's it for the experimental patch update um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be too surprised if we saw a lot of these changes coming to coming to the live servers, uh, mostly just because most of those changes are not that significant. Like I say, the May changes, um, it's hard to say how much more playtime she would really get from those. Uh, I think used in the hands of a skilled player, the ice block especially to reload could be pretty significant. Um, but again, just hard to say because I'm not a May player really. And then the only other, the other probably most notable one is the width of the amplification matrix being changed for Baptiste. Could definitely see him getting played more, but ultimately I think they nerfed his actually, his actually, his actual healing output uh, so much so in maybe a patch or two ago, I can't remember when, but it was relatively recent, that I don't know that that will change things enough to really bring him back into the fold. Moving on from there, I'm going to jump over to an article from Gigi Recon by Jack Marsh. Now this one, I am gonna read the whole article, or at least I'm gonna read a bunch of it. So head over to Gigi Recon, search out this article, because uh, it's definitely got some juicy tidbits in it. And of course, this is where we finally get to talk about Overwatch 2, which obviously we're all clamoring for more information on, but uh, seemingly it's just not coming. So let's read. Overwatch 2 release date, beta rumored for February 2021. Activision Blizzard has closed all the doors on Overwatch news, working on the sequel without even a whisper of where they are up to in terms of progress. With such solace silence, 
It's not long before leakers and data miners come knocking and rumors begin to surface. So when is Overwatch 2 release date? When is the Overwatch 2 release date? Up stepped Overwatch player Alex, who goes by the alias of Metro. The user previously reported that Overwatch 2 was in the works before it was announced by the developers, and seems to have one eye through the keyhole of Blizzard headquarters. Now, the trusted leaker has revealed that the Overwatch 2 beta will be released as of February 2021, around the time of BlizzCon. He further adds that the Overwatch League could be delayed to, co oh, sorry, to coincide with the launch of the new game. Metro stated, quote, the expected beta or even full release of the game around BlizzCon in February 2021 is very likely on Twitter. Uh, then they have the screenshot of his tweet there, or the embed of his tweet there, I should say. This could, however, just be an educated guess. Activision Blizzard has a history of revealing games or releasing betas around the time of BlizzCon to ramp up interest in the franchise. The franchises. With BlizzCon set for February 19th through 21st in the new year, it would make sense for the developers to reveal the game then. When is, whoops, um, jumping along a little bit, alongside an ever-evolving multiplayer experience, Overwatch 2 will include elements of player versus environment. Players will be able to operate their protagonists in a series of four-player missions, fighting back against Null Sector. Overwatch 2 will also feature brand new heroes in a new map type called Push, which will boast a symmetrical design where two teams will look to take control of a robot and push into the other team's side, blah, blah, blah. blah. So... <clears throat> I lied to you a little bit there. I didn't quite read the whole thing. I read even farther than I meant to, but that's fine because we got the main idea of the article there. And of course it is that uh, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps we might be getting Overwatch 2 uh, at the very least the beta, maybe sooner than a lot of us thought. I know I'm, I'm trying to think if I even when I even predicted it would be the last time I talked about it. I think I might have said around May of next year, which would line up with uh, the anniversary, of course, of the first game coming out. I may have also said November of the next year, um, just because that would be, you know, approximately a year out from the new console launches, which are happening in just a few short weeks here. That said, um, you know, I would honestly lean towards this being more of an educated guess than anything. However, that said, it does seem realistic. Um, you know, as they pointed out, BlizzCon being February 19th through the 21st, uh, obviously Blizzard does often announce beta details and release betas and, you know, what a better opportunity for them to release codes or to, uh, you know, either have contests or have goodies or have prize packs and whatever that could get you into the beta for the game. So I could definitely see them doing that, you know, around that February time, uh, perhaps they have likely even they have an overwatch panel um and they can announce there that the the beta is happening if not right then in the coming weeks or something to that extent and after that you know uh hard to say if they would announce a release date at that time i'm fairly certain if i recall correctly for overwatch one the first overwatch the only other overwatch i believe they actually um had the beta only a couple months or maybe even a month before the game came out um, and that at that point it's mostly just a sort of public stress test um, at least in my opinion it's testing the servers to make sure they can handle the load of all the players and everything obviously it's only a fraction of what will be the live player base but it does give them a good indication that you know they can say in their experience and everything roughly an actual launch is whatever two three four times as many as whatever part whatever takes part in that first um, initial beta gathering or that beta stress test kind of thing, as I mentioned. 
So regardless, exciting stuff. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we will hear something um, or get some real tidbits to to, to, to mull over there and really kind of get an idea of when we might get some real Overwatch 2 news. So, But I wanted to bring that one up just because it is interesting and it keeps us salivating, that's for sure. So that brings us to the end of the news segment. That's all I have gathered this week. Um, there was a couple other articles I thought about discussing, one of them about viewership um, and some of the reported numbers for the Overwatch League's uh, viewers, average viewers per minute, average hours, things like that, average uh, whatever it is, uh, I want to say uh, views per minute, AVM, I, yeah, I, I digress, I can't remember, I'm not a stats guy, but I thought about talking about that article, but uh, I decided not to just because uh, it was mostly talking about how viewership was down, and I mean, hey, I want to focus on the positive because 2020 has been hard enough. So let's move on to the Owl Tracker. There's no stopping me. All right, now that we're in the Owl Tracker, um, first I'll just quickly touch on the fact that I am not going to go over all of the trades and everything that has happened since you know, I mean, really since September, but mostly since October, because I've done that in the past episode. So I believe I've bookmarked where I left off uh, with respect to trades and signings and releases and retirements and all that jazz. So I'm going to pick up where I left off. If you're interested, obviously, go to last week's episode, give that a listen. As well, I will recommend um, just Google uh, .esports.com owl trade tracker and you will probably find liz richardson's trade tracker where she is constantly updating it with all of the latest and greatest uh details about player releases and trades and such that i will discuss but let's dive in um and we'll we'll see how this goes i might actually pop out of this article and jump into a few other articles that they link to from this one just because they do have a little bit more context a little bit of details around some of the uh, trade signings, promotions, teaser, and things like that. So without further ado, let's get in there. Uh, I believe I left off on October 17th last time. I talked about London Spitfire releasing JMAC, Philly releasing EQO, Vancouver. I talked about a lot last episode, and on October 17th, they re-signed Dalton, Shredlock, and Rolf. So let's move on to October 18th, where the Hangzhou Spark release off-tank Rhea and Sassin, support Bebe and DPS Adora and Addo. Addo? Addo? Addo. I'm not too familiar with Hangzhou. So lots of changes from Hangzhou coming out of there. Um, interesting stuff just because I think uh, I think after, I believe it was Architect went there from the San Francisco Shock last uh, mid last season. I think a lot of people expected a little bit more from them, especially adding in Architect, who we all know is a, is a bomb-ass uh, DPS player. Um, it really looked like they might have a little bit more going, and then I just, I don't know what happened. They weren't able to capitalize on it. They weren't able to, uh, whatever, uh, give him or be as successful with him as they had hoped. So I digress. Now you see changes. October 19th, Outlaws, Houston Outlaws even, promote former player Matt Cool Matt Iorio to general manager. Now this is one of those things where I want to jump over to the other article there um, and just read a little bit out of there. So as we know, um, I don't believe I talked about Houston too much other than in the Owl Trade Tracker last week. However, 
Houston has been cleaning house. Um, it's no surprise, given given sort of the state that they were in at the end of the season, very similar to the Dallas Fuel. However, they actually have been making some interesting and exciting moves. Um, obviously, last week, I think I talked about Junkbuck coming over to them, joining, joining forces with Harsha. So, you know, previous runner-up of the last season with the Vancouver Titans in Harsha and uh, previous winner with the San Francisco Shock in Junkbuck. So exciting stuff there. And now this, Houston promote Coolmat to general manager. The Houston Outlaws have, has, yeah, yeah, okay. The Houston Outlaws has been restructuring its roster and front office since the start of the Overwatch League offseason. And now the organization has found someone to lead the way in bringing in new players. Matt Coolmat Iorio has gone from playing the, for the Outlaws to working as the team's logistic man, logistics manager. Sorry. But now he'll be running the front office as the org's new general manager, Houston announced today. As someone who's been with the organization since its inaugural 2017 season, Coolmat knows how things are run on the player and business side. This should help him easily transition into his new role as he and the remaining staff work to build a contending roster. Uh, talks a little bit about Junkbuck there, joining forces with Harsha after that. Talks a little bit about the Outlaws being poop in uh, the 2020 season, finishing in 16th place um, and in a tie for dead last in the North American playoffs. Uh, I suppose that tie, yep, yep, yep. Only five players are on the team's roster from last season heading into the 2021 free agency period, and only one of those players, Daniel Boink-Pence, remains from the team's original roster. So, um, interesting stuff there. Uh, it really is a little bit of a, a toss-up just in the fact that um, it's not entirely clear in the Overwatch League, let alone esports in general, sort of where the division between a general manager, a head coach, an assistant coach, um, where that line kind of is in a lot of organizations. I think a lot of organizations do it their own way as well. Um, if you look at someone like the Philadelphia Fusion, it seems like they have no shortage of coaching staff, but then a lot of the coaching staff also does a lot of the general manager work so it is a little bit hard to say where exactly Coolmat fits into the picture with Harsha and Junkbuck, although it sounds to me like Houston has a little bit more structure than a lot of the teams we see. So it does sound to me like Coolmat will kind of be overseeing the business at the top level, while Harsha and Junkbuck are more involved with the team and uh, almost sort of the day-to-day the -day ongoings of the team how they work together and then you know maybe the three of them with any other assistant coaches they might sign or might already have that i'm not aware of uh kind of work together to build that actual team and you know look at the money side of things the logistics of it so that's an exciting one for sure especially uh especially seeing that progression from player to logistics manager whatever that is sounds like it's probably money related and then moving into GM, um, definitely an exciting exciting move for the organization as a whole to make um, because it does kind of give hope that, you know, yeah, if you want to stay with an organization as a player, like if you start off as a player and you want to stay with an organization, there is maybe a path you can make there. Um, that's actually one thing that I'm a little bit surprised uh, no one's talking about with someone, honestly, and this can, you know, I don't want to out outrage any fans out there. I myself am a fan. But this is honestly something that I see uh, an organization like the Atlanta Reign maybe making, uh, taking taking advantage of, or something like uh, the San Francisco Shock with someone like Super. Um, and let me expound a little bit there. 
I think it would be, if you look at a lot of these players that maybe um, could have a career outside of the Overwatch League in terms of they could easily be streamers on their own, I think the organizations should really be looking at those players and saying, okay, if you want to play competitively, play competitively. We have a roster slot for you. But either maybe you're sunsetting in the case of, in this case, I'm thinking more Atlanta with someone like maybe Dogman, although I do think Dogman, to his credit, definitely held his own and could easily find a place on another team, and maybe he will. Um, but maybe these some of these players that just could easily stream on their own, so someone like Super, who, as far as I understand, has quite a following on Twitch, maybe these organizations sign them as more personalities, as streamers, as faces of the organization, um, outside of the team, of course, you know? I'm sure there's some way you could make that work in, at an organization level and just have them basically rep the brand, promote the brand. Now, I do know some teams have things like this. Obviously, Toronto Defiant partner with someone like Carcu, um to do a lot of the social media, a lot of the promotion stuff, and he has his freedom to do his own kind of thing. But I'd actually be really curious to see what that looks like if it's actually brought under an organization kind of thing. Um, and, and again, you know, I understand Toronto partners with Carcu. But what if Karki was an actual employee of the Toronto Defiant organization? Um, now, yes, obviously, there's there's an argument to be made, and I don't know the, the the money behind it. There's an argument to be made, though, that these players at this level, people like Karki, people like Super, people like potentially Dogman, could make more just straight up on their own. But it all depends on the contracts. It all depends on what's worked out with the team there. So, and And at the same time, you know, maybe someone doesn't have aspirations to be a streamer on their own, but the organization can provide them the backbone to put out that content. Maybe they work more with the marketing side and the content team to use those streams in in a, in some way, shape, or form. So anyways, I digress. My point is, it's exciting to see this progression through the team, and uh, I think it does give some, some hope in a lot of ways to... Uh, to some of these organizations and franchises that you know you don't just have to in a lot of ways you don't just have to win to uh to be successful so that's what i wanted to say about that now next up we're moving on to october 20th boston uprising officially re-sign main tank fusions off tank punk dps color hex and support myungbong now why is this significant um i'm i'm you know, in a lot of ways, this, when I read this, I it was kind of a, huh, well, that's interesting. Just because, you know, Boston, obviously, we all know what kind of season they had. It was not a good one. So why would they sign a lot of those same players? Well, uh, I believe I was actually listening to Tactical Crouch, and they talked briefly about this. Um, look up Tactical Crouch, Tactical Crouch podcast. Um, it's a podcast by three of the members of GG Recon, and it's very good if you're into Overwatch League. But the point they made was basically if these guys go to free free agency there's a good chance a lot of them aren't getting picked up again and not solely but mostly based on the season boston had um if if they put their names out there um or if they want to leave the team there's a good chance they're not getting picked up because uh boston was shite this past season now there are a few exceptions to that you know certainly uh i mean everyone Everyone, I think, believes in Myungbong's skills. Um, I think he definitely, on the support role, is a great player. Uh, you look at someone like Color Hex as well. Color Hex, uh, definitely not a bad DPS by any means. Um, 
he could definitely find a home somewhere else, but I don't think the cards necessarily play in any of those players' favors, maybe with the exception of Myungbong, but I, I really don't think that it plays in their favor to go to free agency. So I would assume they they likely went to the organization, maybe, you know, maybe individually, but maybe with some help from the organization uh, and having that foresight uh, to say, what do you guys want to do? And if they agree to stay on, then they stay on. Um, obviously, that's not a full roster there. That's not a full team there. So hopefully you can build around that core and uh, maybe Boston can, you know, turn up the heat in the uh, 2021 season. Now, the next one is, of course, the sad, well, <laughs> the, I was about to say the, the sad uh, news from the uh, owl tracker however that said it's not necessarily uh the only sad news as a toronto defiant fan spoilers but i'll get there when i get there so this one reads like this kim Haxall hyo jong of the new york excelsior excelsior announces he's retiring from professional overwatch the new york excelsior announced today that dps kim Haxall hyo jong would be retiring from professional overwatch surprising many longtime fans of the illustrious Genji player. His future plans beyond the Overwatch League have not been announced. Haxall began his journey as a part of Runaway, one of the most successful teams in Overwatch Contenders Korea. He quickly built up a reputation for being one of the most flex DPS players in the region, constantly scoring multiple kills on his signature hero, Genji. He joined the Overwatch League as part of the Vancouver Titans in 2019 when the organization picked up the entire Runway roster. Runaway, sorry. Across multiple metas, Haxall excelled on both DPS heroes and support hero Brigitta, coming in clutch on an off roll when his team needed him the most. Because of these accolades, he was given the league's first Rookie of the Year award for the 2019 season. Now, actually, I forgot to mention that was an article by Liz Richardson. I'm not going to read the last little bit there as they talk about the Vancouver Titans imploding, but I wanted to bring this up because very... I apologize about that. I clicked play on a video that I was not expecting to have full sound. Uh, this is a video of the Vancouver Titans against the San Francisco Shock, and it is of Haxall just going absolutely insane. I believe he's actually on Brigitta here, but just coming in clutch to take the map and get the win. It looks like that is actually a highlight of Vancouver beating San Francisco in the stage one finals of the 2019 season. And that was actually before I was, uh, before I was uh, into the Overwatch League. I believe I got into the Overwatch League the season after that, I want to say, potentially. If not the season after that, um, or not the season, sorry, the stage after that. If not the stage after that, around the finals of stage two. So anyways, uh, sad to see him go. Uh, he was obviously one of the one of the big stars that everyone was looking forward to seeing where he went after, he, after the implosion of the Vancouver Titans. And as I mentioned, I mean, should have been... Uh, I feel like there was a lot of potential with him moving to New York, and it honestly, it seemed like New York just didn't really find a way to really truly slot him into the roster appropriately, and uh, because of that, it's kind of too bad, because I think he was benched for a lot of the season. Um, you know, really hard to say what would have happened if he wound up on another team. Um, I mean, Shanghai would have been a tight fit, because they were so DPS heavy and so dominant, obviously, without him even. Um, could have been interesting to see him go to Seoul, uh, just because of the run Seoul had at the end of the season there. Obviously, another former runaway and Vancouver Titan slime wound up with, with Seoul, and Seoul winding up the runner-up uh, after the San Francisco Shock this past season. But 
I digress. Uh, sad to see Hacksaw go, but all the best in his retirement. And certainly, uh, you know, retirement doesn't mean the end. So moving on from there, back to the trade tracker. October 21st, New York Excelsior part ways with DPS players Nene, Who Are You, and Off Tanks, Hotba, and Bianca. Interesting stuff there. New York, though, making some changes, just like some of their competition, as we'll see here. Uh, also on October 21st, Philadelphia Fusion officially releases EQO, DPS Chipsa, and head coach KDG. So interesting stuff there. Philly, like I said uh, at the end of last uh, in my last episode there, it's hard to say what exactly Philly needs to change, but they're making changes. Um, you know, getting rid of a head coach, getting rid of, I mean, Chipsa was a bit of a meme for most of his time with the Philadelphia Fusion. I don't really know why. I think it was before I started following the league, but I digress. Um, and I talked about EQO last week when, when he announced free agency, but obviously they released him here. So Now, here is the other sad article that I mentioned. Uh, Toronto Defiant releases DPS players, Agilities, Surefor, Zeke or Zik, Main Tanks, Beast, Numlocked, Off Tanks, Nevix, Main Support, Cruise, uh, Rocky, and Flex Support, Kareev, and Mangachu. So, yeah, Toronto Defiant releases 10 players. This is, again, you know, Collar the Grim Reaper, but another article from Liz Richardson here. Hours after the 2021 Overwatch League contract status update revealed most of the Toronto Defiant roster would be pursuing free agency in the offseason, the team has officially parted ways with multiple players. Over the course of several hours on October 21st, the Defiant Twitter account bid farewell to 10 members of the 2020 roster. Uh, she then lists all of those players. Toronto also wiped out the support line, which included, oh, Cruz and Rocky and Kareev. There you go. So, yeah. That was a bit of a gut punch for, I think, any Toronto Defiant fans. Um, I know I myself, personally, uh, had grown to grown to really like a few of these players, um, especially on their, their DPS line. I mean, I'm a Surefour fanboy, being that he's from Alberta, and, and he's from a town that I know quite well. Um, Agilities, as well, I became a fan of, just following him throughout the season. Um, you know, but certainly not not talentless players here you know yeah I, I could name almost any of these guys beast numlocked uh great on the tank roll nevix a bit of a hard one to say but a good good uh i believe swedish player for sure um cruise and kareev on the support line i didn't know rocky too well but definitely a seemingly a a really really good roster um really hard to pinpoint why toronto couldn't make it work this past season but for whatever reason, they, they really struggled and... I didn't find that on Apple Music. Well, that scared the crap out of me. Sorry about that, y'all. I'll, uh, I'll continue and maybe next time I'll be sure I don't accidentally bump my Apple Watch and make Siri yell at me again. Anyways, Siri, shut up. Don't, don't look at me. Don't talk to me like that. Okay, I digress. Um, anyways, as I was saying... Uh, yeah, sad to see this happen to Toronto, um, especially, you know, I, I had grown to follow the follow the franchise and really enjoy the team this, this past season um, in terms of the content they've been putting out. Uh, exciting and I guess not exciting, but just the kind of engagement that you want to see the team doing. Um, 
any team doing really and definitely making their way up there with with some of the uh, teams that are you know maybe a little more community focused and a little less results focused but as this proves i mean you can't only have one right uh i think certainly they built a good foundation this past season for the the image of the organization if you will but it should be really interesting to see what they do this next season um because obviously shedding almost your entire roster if not your entire roster uh could mean that hey they want results now um you know enough with the the child's play let's get to it so moving on from there october 22nd hangzhou spark adds shy to its roster uh, I don't honestly know anything about that. I actually kind of missed that one. Soul Dynasty announces DPS Profit and Tank Gesture will return in 2021. Atlanta Rain officially releases Dogman, FRD, Fire, and Pokepo, as well as DPS players Erster and Saucy. Um, bit of an interesting one there. Obviously, we'd already talked about Dogman, FRD, a few of these other guys, Fire, Pokepo. Um, but interesting that they officially released them after the players had already announced they were done however or done in free agency or whatever um however interesting about erster for sure uh one that i would have thought they might want to keep uh highly toted going into the 2020 season but hey uh obviously following suit with a lot of other teams this season and uh really kind of trying to start fresh washington uh, sorry also on october 22nd washington justice parts ways with main tank roar um nothing too interesting there October 23rd, Paris Eternal releases coaching staff, including head coach Rush, general manager 9K, and assistant coaches Levi and Aid. Now, that's actually quite interesting. Like, that's a surprising one for sure. Um, you know, I think Paris going into uh, into the 2020 season, as, you know, Ben Best kindly reminded everyone, uh, Paris was a bit underrated, especially in the West. Um, I mean... I didn't really truly know anything about them. I'm fairly certain if you listen to one of my first episodes, you'll hear me say I really didn't follow Paris and I really didn't care for them. But uh, Paris obviously made it to the finals and and did very well overall this season. Um, a lot of a lot of standout players on their team. You know, Sparkle obviously jumping in on the Genji um, in the Genji meta, which I believe was Summer Showdown. Um, you know, Ben Best having one of the one of the big comeback seasons of of, of his career really. Um, you know, Nico, uh, a few other players, just really an impressive season from Paris. So surprising to see that head coach, general manager, and two assistant coaches are gone. Um, but hey, exciting to see what happens there. So certainly not just changes on the uh, roster side of things with teams. Obviously some new openings in the higher positions as well. Also on October 23rd, Rush joins the Dallas Fuel as head coach. There you go. <laughs> so Paris releasing Rush and uh, then Rush immediately jumping over to uh, the Dallas Fuel. Something tells me that that was um, obviously in the works for probably for a while. Um, just being that it was same day announcement kind of thing. I'm sure Rush uh, knew his time with Paris was over and uh, had worked something out with Dallas. So Dallas Fuel acquires DPS, Sparkle, and off-tank Hanbin from the Paris Eternal. And there you go. This this October 23rd was really just an announcement day for Paris and Dallas because obviously all of those players going from Paris to Dallas, uh, kind, of, kind of an interesting one because uh, you have to assume that Rush being head coach of the Paris Eternal likely knew something, knew he wasn't staying 
um, whether or not he or how soon he knew he was going to Dallas, hard to say, but he obviously had his connections over there and said, look, uh, I'm going to talk to some of my players, and if they are willing to come with me, then I'd love to bring them. So there you go. And then uh, the opposite, kind of the opposite side of that coin, you know, going from Paris, one of the top top teams, one of the, in my opinion, big surprises of the 2020 season, moving over to the Dallas Fuel, one of the bottom teams for sure, uh, the other side of that coin is you have 9K going from one of the top teams to the Philadelphia Fusion. So that is really interesting. Um, obviously really exciting because uh, 9K seeing a lot of success with Paris and arguably, uh, you know, fingers crossed, only going to see more with the Philadelphia Fusion. October 24th, Washington Justice re-signs Decay for the 2021 season and adds main tank Mag. So that's an interesting one that just came up uh, later in the day on the 24th um, and has been talked about a lot. Mag coming up from Contenders Korea. So uh, very highly toted main tank. Um, one thing I read was very similar in style to uh, Bumper, who us Vancouver Titans fans will all remember as, uh, you know, the charging, guns a-blazing, or hammer swinging Reinhardt style of play. So exciting to see that. will uh, will be exciting to see what the Washington Justice can do with him. Moving on from there, Toronto Defiant, this is also on October 24th, adds KDG as head coach and officially re-signs Logics. So obviously they didn't fully clean house, um, but uh, regardless, exciting stuff. Uh, Logics, definitely one that uh, I wanted to see come back. And I mean, hey, if, if he's the only one that's coming back, well, uh, it's a good pickup, that's for sure. And then KDG, obviously um, coming in as head coach of the Toronto Defiant is a big deal for Toronto. Uh, not necessarily a big deal for KDG going from the Philadelphia Fusion to Toronto. Obviously, that's a very similar to that Paris to Dallas move that, uh, that Coach Rush did. But hopefully that means Toronto can see some results. Moving on from there, October 25th, this was yesterday, San Francisco Shock parts ways with DPS Rascal. Rascal, I don't know why I said it like that. Rascal. Um, interesting one there. I, I kind of get the feeling that, you know, Rascal was benched for a lot of the season after May kind of went out of the meta um, in favor of, you know, people like Ons, um, people like Stryker, obviously, big key players with San Francisco's success. So I'm not incredibly surprised by that. I know I saw a, 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 an image on Instagram the other day of who was a free agent on the team. And if I had to pick two that were going to not be getting picked back up by the San Francisco Shock, it, Rascal definitely would have been one of them. I believe it was Rascal, Super, Moth, and Violet. And I think San Francisco is going to be insane not to re-sign uh, Moth and Violet, um, especially the two of them playing together. Uh, that said, it seems like, you know, Moth is causing everyone to hold their breath a little bit. So maybe something big is in the works with him. But then, you know, Super, I think, is happy with San Francisco. And I, I don't see him gelling super well with a lot of other teams. Um, but then, as I mentioned, Rascal is sort of the, the odd man out there that I definitely would have said could move. Um, and it seems like, hey, San Francisco has parted ways with him. Also on October 25th, Shanghai Dragons release off-tank Giggery, DPS DM, Support Luffy, and DPS Deeding, as well as two-way DPS Dia. So uh, Shanghai, actually, one of the one of the few teams that I, uh, one of the few APAC region, I should say, teams 
that I follow on Instagram and Twitter and things. And uh, they actually had a really nice farewell to a lot of their players. Um, I believe they actually also released their GM, although I could be wrong, but um, it was really nice goodbye kind of thing, uh, in my opinion, very honorable, very, very, I don't know, very polite of them to, to say goodbye the way they did. Um, and it seems like most of the players, you know, aren't leaving with any bad blood. So exciting stuff there. Um, Shanghai, surprising to see them letting go of so many players. But hey, it seems like most of these teams are, with the exception of honestly San Francisco, most of these teams are not not taking anything for granted. And in a lot of ways, if they didn't get the champion, which the championship, which obviously San Francisco is the only one that did, seems like they are not, you know, no one is safe kind of thing. I guess that's what I'm saying. No one is safe. Moving on from there, October 26th, we're nearing the end. We're almost caught up. Philadelphia Fusion re-signs assistant coaches Moby Dick and Christopher. Um, no real surprises there. Obviously, we had a few surprises uh, higher up than that, you know, just in the couple days prior. But nothing too exciting there. Uh, glad to see Christopher come back. I think he's he's been one of kind of one of the big champions of the league. You know, he makes he's had a few appearances on the Tactical Crouch podcast I've mentioned a couple times. Um, definitely a, a good, seemingly a good guy. So exciting to see him coming back. After that, we have also on the 26th, San Francisco Shock promotes Cascasores Van Andel from analyst to assistant coach. Exciting stuff there. I believe they promoted him uh, to an, or he became an analyst there just when, before they went to the finals in South Korea. Um, so big move for him. Exciting stuff for him. And then finally, that's actually it on the uh, Overwatch League Trade Tracker by Liz Richardson on .esports.com. But I wanted to mention uh, just one other thing that I think also has happened on the 26th, but wasn't mentioned here. Um, the San Francisco Shock sign Agape as assistant coach coming from the London Spitfire. So I wanted to note that because that is important as Agape was uh, the head coach for the London Spitfire in the uh, Overwatch League's inaugural season when, of course, the London Spitfire won the championship. So obviously he's hoping for another championship and bringing in a move like that definitely could signal that, you know, Shock is going for the three-peat. I mean, obviously I don't think that was ever in doubt, but... Uh, but regardless, it's it's really exciting to uh, to see moves like that happening from you know obviously, obviously the uh, the top dog in the league, uh, the the biggest of the big players. So exciting stuff there. Excuse me for dropping in. And with that, that brings us to the end of another episode of. One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. So that was episode 22. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, as always, please give me a follow on Twitter at SirDRJM and Instagram if you want. Please reach out to me and let me know what you'd like to see on the show, what you'd like to hear on the show. Uh, maybe if you'd like to be a part of the show. I don't know. You got any suggestions? Let me know and uh, hey, we'll we'll figure something out. Uh, I am your host, Sir Dr. JM. Of course, follow me as I mentioned, and subscribe to the podcast. If you uh, like Overwatch, you like the Overwatch League, uh, let your friends know. Tell your friends, share it. You know, let me let me let me talk in your ears once in a while. Um, you know, yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, obviously, One Man Watchpoint is available on all podcast services: uh, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, all the other ones out there. Go ahead and. 
let me know. Reach out to me if you like what you hear, uh, if you have suggestions or anything like that. And at this point, I'm just rambling, so I'm going to sign off. But uh, have yourself a good week, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.